And we welcome you on in to another episode of the Big Time Sports Podcast Show, episode number 31 here. Uh, Mitch Bennell and Mitchell Bala here to give you the latest in sports from all around high school, collegiate, and beyond. Mitch is going to be back with you coming back from the weekend, although we do have uh, some somber news to get to later on in the show. Uh, it'll be a bit of a bittersweet episode uh, towards the latter portion. But for right now, we're here to talk about the good stuff in sports, which uh, part of which was a really good roster of high school playoff games from this past weekend, especially up in here in Tuscaroras and up in Stark. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we're going to start with the good news, obviously highlighting everything around here, uh, give people time to get their tissues ready uh, for the sad news we have later in this show. A lot of sports happened just the past, what, four or five days since we last talked, Mitch. So plenty to get to today. Absolutely. Before we get into the show, we want to remind you guys that, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud is where you can find the show. If you're here on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the bell. You can also uh, uh, check us out on our website, BigTimeSportsOhio.com, at BigTimeSportsOhio on Facebook and Instagram, BTSOhio on Twitter, and then at Mitch Spinell, at Mitchell Balla. So, Mitch... I want to start off uh, in your area last week because uh, two teams, especially that have been highlighting the season so far and the Maslin Tigers and the Lake Blue Streaks will now be facing off against one another in the upcoming Division uh, Two regional finals uh, after both squads were able to win this past week. Lake especially was very fascinating because they were able to pull out such a late victory. Yeah, what a weekend for high school football. And it was actually crazier when you consider the fact that Maslin was actually down 9 nothing when they were playing Big Walnut early on in that game. And then Maslin, I know when they were announcing that game over the PA at Crater Stadium in Dover where Lake and Westerville South was playing, yep. it was lots of cheering for the Lake fans because we all know that Lake and Maslin are Stark County schools. And a little bit of head-scratching going – Maslin's down nine, nothing. You mean a team has scored multiple times before Maslin, Mitch, really what we had touted as the hottest team in the state of Ohio since week one was losing. That's practically unheard of. Well, Maslin did what Maslin was supposed to do. They came back, they run big walnut off the field Lake to your point, Mitch, what an odd game that was versus Westerville South. Uh, the weather played a major factor in that game, but the Lake blue streaks continue their historic season and knocked off Westerville South 16-7 to in the Division II Region 7 uh, Regional Semifinals. And now we have a Stark County date, all-Stark County date between Lake and Maslin later this Friday at Byers Field in Parma. Uh, we can talk about the location and everything a little bit later, but what what is there to say about Lake? They've done, they have battled adversity all year, Mitch. They have one loss, and it was the McKinley Bulldogs, and they were down about five or six key players. Well, they were going to have to dig deep against Westerville South, and they did. They lost Matthew Solberger, their top running back and top running option. The second play of the game, his first carry of the game, he left, was helped off the field, unable to put any pressure on uh, his right leg, what the injury was. I'm not going to speculate. It was a right leg injury. Uh, we saw him come back out then without pads on. He was on crutches, so we knew he wasn't coming back into the game. Well, alas, Will Butler, Federal League Player of the Year, the quarterback, Mitch, comes into the game and plays running back the rest of the game. We know Lake has the two quarterback system with Kale Jarvis and Will Butler. Will Butler did what almost any senior would do when it's winter go home time. And he said, I don't care about playing quarterback today. Put me in at running back. Let's get this done. And the senior, all he did was run for 122 yards and two touchdowns, Mitch, including a touchdown with under under two minutes to go in the game that practically sealed 
the game for Lake. They were up 10-7 at the time. And you cannot say enough about this Lake Blue Streak team. They faced adversity all year and they continue to march on. This is their first, this is the team that won the Federal League title, the first one since the 90s that they have won as a school and program. And now, Mitch, they're one win away from going to the state final four and being the really representing this region, Division II, Region Seven in the state playoffs. But they're going to go have to go through one of the top teams in the area and maybe the state in the Maslin Tigers, who are the number one seed in that division. But number one versus number two in Division II, Region Seven, it's going to be a blast. And this is exactly what happened last year, Mitch. Maslin Tigers took on a federal league team a Stark County team of the Green Bulldogs at Mansfield in the regional final. And the Green Bulldogs upset Maslin. Don't think that's not in the back of Maslin's minds, whether it's for, uh, you know, prepping for this game as motivation, or if things get tight, don't think it's in the back of those players' minds because we are very aware of things that go on in sports, especially as a player. And for Lake, really, you're playing with house money right now because practically everybody has wrote you off now that you've gotten this far to play Maslin, right? This is Maslin's region to lose. But it's going to be one hell of a game, and I'm so excited. Friday can't get here enough, and I'm not talking about just getting through the work week. I'm talking about watching what could be Mitch, one of the top football games in the state of Ohio on Friday night. Certainly, Madison will be trying to erode uh, a few years of tough playoff finishes. You mentioned the loss to Green last year. You mentioned the, or we, I, I was thinking of the state championship final loss, and they're going to keep trying to get back their way back to Canton. And uh, yeah, Lake is really fascinating. Will Butler has been one of the top running backs in this area. You mentioned uh, the game was played in Dover at Crater Stadium. Uh, we also had uh, Steubenville winning over uh, their playoff matchup in, in Woody Hayes Quaker Stadium in New Philadelphia, which I believe will be a site for uh, a, once again for this week's slate of games. And I'm looking at all the uh, the pairings right here coming up. Uh, some really good games that I'm looking at besides our area for this, these upcoming regional finals. St. Edwards in Division One's taking on uh, third-ranked Menor. Uh, St. Edwards coming off a big win against St. Ignatius. Uh, we also have Moeller back in the mix, uh, taking on third-ranked Lakota West in Region 4. That game will be played in Princeton while St. Ed's and Menor will play in Euclid. Now, as for uh, Region 7, we mentioned Maslin and Lake will play, and they're going to be playing at Byers Field over in Parma. And Mitch, I heard some rumblings uh, from fans once they heard the announcement of the location that it seems a little, to them, it seemed a little counterproductive that they were traveling such a ways away to uh, to play this regional final. Well, Mitch, from a fan's perspective, it is. Let's be honest here. This is a team. These are two teams that are in the same county that are separated apart from each other by about 25 minutes. And now you're asking these teams to drive over an hour each on a bus to play a game that you would think could be played, you know, between the two schools. And generally that's what it is, Mitch. Generally when you have two teams, they try to put it in a centralized location. So it's an even distance for both schools. Now that's the fan perspective and fans have all the right to get upset, but for the fans that are watching this episode, Mitch, what they do not know and do not realize, and it's not their fault. The OHSA does not do a very great job of putting out this information. For them to have a game on a neutral site between the two schools, that site has to be willing to host, Mitch. Right. And a lot of these schools aren't willing to host. There's not a lot of incentive for most schools to host at this point. You only get a, a small rent fee from the OHSAA, and that doesn't necessarily cover most venues in terms of being able to staff it to take tickets, staff it for security, staff it for concessions. It's it's a hard, hard thing to do. Now, the other thing you have to take into account is Maslin is a very big school. 
for they're, they're probably right on the cusp of division two to division one. And Lake this year is a very, Lake's a very big school. They're division one in all of their sports, except for football. These are two fan bases that are going to pack the stadium. And even if you're not a Maslin or Lake fan, there's going to be Stark County football fans. There's going to be football fans in general that want to come to this game. So not only were you going to have to find a centralized location that's willing to host, you have to find a stadium that's big enough to host both sides. We saw it last year, actually, with Green and Maslin. In fact, they ended up putting that game at Northwest High School before the OHSA realized, oh, we're going to sell this game out. The parking there is a nightmare, Mm -hmm. and there's still not going to be enough stands to fairly represent both teams. And that's why I went to Mansfield, which I believe that stadium holds almost 10,000. Now you're going to Byers Field, where typically this is where St. Ed's and St. Ignatius play. It's a very big stadium. Oh, but why couldn't they play at Benson? Benson is the state championship site. No teams are allowed to play there, obviously, except for Kent McKinley, because that is their home field. Uh, They're not going to allow a team to play there. Granted, they call that a competitive advantage. Whether you want to believe that or not, it's not up for interpretation. That's what the OHSA says. Other than that, I mean, yes, the University of Akron just hosted St. Vincent, St. Mary versus Hoban. Uh, without getting into too many details, that those are two Akron schools, Mitch. And, you know, at the city of Akron, obviously, generally roots for one of those two private schools if they have any affiliation. So, of course, the University of Akron felt somewhat pressured to host that game. But it is odd, right? Don't get me wrong. It's odd. I'm not, the, I'm not happy about it, but there's nothing you can do. All you can do is show up or buy a ticket, which tickets are going to be hard to find because this game will sell out, Mitch, and then show up and get up to Parma by, at, and Byers Field in time to cheer on your team. That's about all you can do at this point. They're not going to change this location. There's no there's no reason to, to complain about it anymore because, frankly, Mitch, the OHSA does not care about what fans think. Let's be honest here. And so this game is set in stone. It's a great atmosphere. It just it does suck that it's going to be over an hour away. It'll be a bit of a drive for both schools, and it'll be a bit of a drive for other schools like uh, the Warriors of West Branch, top seed in Division Four, who we uh, we should mention, by the way, among all these teams. Uh, the Warriors 12-1 and one will face off with Jefferson Area, the sixth seed in Region 13 in Division Four, this coming Saturday at Niles McKinley. Now, as for – we mentioned Steubenville earlier. Steubenville getting that victory in this past regional semifinal. So now uh, they will travel to St. Clairsville to take on the fourth seed Indian Valley Braves who ended up beating Bishop Reedy 34 to 10 uh, this past Saturday, which is a great win for Matt Lancaster squad. Uh, a guest on the show coach has been, and I'm, I'm really impressed with the way that the Braves have been able to engineer what is now their first regional final appearance since 2013, I believe. And I'm very fat. I'm very curious to see if the Braves will match up with the big red and trying to get their first state appearance uh, this coming Saturday night. Now as for the uh, other matchups that I'm very interested in seeing uh, Perry up against South range in region 17, because the Perry pirates who are third in, uh, in region 17 ended up beating the then unbeaten Indian or excuse me, Garraway pirates this past Friday, which I was a little surprised by. And it was a really tough game for Garraway. A late pick six kind of sealed the victory for Perry. And it's the, it was the, it was tied for the lowest scoring performance from Garraway all season, along with their 17, nothing win up against Maslin or uh, up against uh, Indian Valley uh, from a few weeks ago, which we were at. 
So again, Garway, another tough way to lose. I mean, I, you, they were somewhat expected to get back to the regional finals this year up against uh, the likes of South Range, who beat him last year. And now South Range will play against Perry. And South Range still looks strong, man. They beat Youngstown Cardinal Mooney 34 to 6 uh, this past Friday night. So I, I'm, I'm, Perry's going to have a tall task ahead of them, but it's, it's, it's a tall task for everybody at this point. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, as far as, oh, go ahead. I just wanted to, uh, on that point, you know, Garraway had a phenomenal season, Mitch. Mm-hmm. We, we had Coach Wallach on just a couple of weeks ago. This was a team that was very focused on getting back to the spot in which their season ended last year, actually to the hands of South Range. And unfortunately, their season falls short. And honestly, Mitch, it comes down to a couple of things. What teams can execute the best at this stage in the tournament? And Garraway, unfortunately, picked the wrong time to go cold offensively. You mentioned the late pick six, four interceptions total in that game. Just not what you want to see at this stage. But at the same time, Garraway had an amazing season. What Coach Wallach has done down there, and this is coming from a Stark County guy, Mitch. This is this is your territory that you cover. You know this team better than I do. What a phenomenal season. And unfortunately, it's just what happens in the playoffs. We see it at every level of the playoffs, Mitch. We see it at high school, college, and professional football. It happens. Um, but at the same time, Garraway with an unforgettable season. And you have to imagine Coach Wallach is going to get a number of those guys back. We know they had a lot of seniors, but a loss like this, Mitch, and we saw it last year for Garraway, can propel you to have another great season the ensuing year, and you have to expect that's what's going to happen with Garraway again. I do want to give a shout-out to one team, and that is Canton South. Canton South, mm. defeated by Jefferson, who will take on West Branch now in the Division Three Regional uh, Championship game. Canton South lost 49-35. to 30, 35. Uh, That was the 7-6 and six seed, which is kind of, you know, a lot of – when you look around the state and you see the teams that advance, it's a lot of number one seeds, a lot of number two seeds, but there's a few spots still. And to see the seven and six seed play in the regional semifinal was, was pretty cool. Poochie Snyder still try to do everything he possibly could. One of the top talents in the state of Ohio, uh, one of the top quarterbacks actually led Star County in passing this year uh, from Canton South and just a tremendous season for Canton South and Poochie Snyder, only a junior Mitch. So you talk about the, the extra fuel to the fire and motivation you have to imagine that this senior quarterback in 2023 is going to have a lot to play for as will the Wildcats, but a tremendous season for Canton South. Three of the four star County teams still in it. Also on that similar note, a high scoring uh, loss for an area school here, West Holmes in region 14, also no longer undefeated after losing 40 to 35 to Van Wert, who will now take on Cleveland Glenville in the region 14 finals. Uh, so we'll take a quick break after this. Uh, we'll be back with more, including uh, some more uh, matchups in another level of football. Let's be back right after this. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget, guaranteed to be hot and crispy, or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut skin on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Try them today, only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's, taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. 
Buying a home has never been so affordable with record low interest rates. Hartzler's Quality Housing is ready to put over 40 years of experience to work for you. Family owned and operated since 1978, Hartzler's has a wide selection of model homes on site with a knowledgeable team to help make your new home a reality. Open six days a week, visit them off I-77 in Dover or online at Hartzler's.com. Hartzler's Quality Housing, quality from start to finish. You deserve the best. And at Ferris Chevrolet, Buick, Cadillac, Toyota, that's what you get. We consider you the customer to be part of our family. Anybody can make promises, but when you visit Ferris, you get the Ferris deal from a Ferris wheel. So if you're looking for a car, truck, or van, think Ferris. You invest a lot in your home and vehicle purchases. Van Nostrand Young & Associates want you to feel secure should anything happen to those investments. We partnered with providers like Grange Insurance and other industry leaders to be sure you're presented with the most complete coverage to fit your needs. Because we're not only here to protect the items you invest in, we're here to protect your future as well. Call Van Nostrand Young Insurance in North Canton at 330-49. We all have 206 things in common. Our bones keep us up and moving. And we at Cleveland Clinic Union Hospital care about every single one of them. From the tip of your finger to a brand new hip, our orthopedic experts will keep you going while keeping you safe. For every break and breakthrough, for every bone and joint, for every care in the world, get the care you need when and where you need it. Visit unionhospital.org. And we're back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast show. Mitch Spinell alongside Mitchell Bauer. Let's go over now to college football, Mitch. Uh, not a lot of surprises in this week. The 10th week, I believe, or the 11th week, I excuse me, in the college football season where a lot of teams really wrapping up regular season play before they get to their uh, rivalry finales in the regular season. So we'll start off, obviously, down in Columbus, where it was not much of a surprise, at least for me. Ohio State was able to beat Indiana 56 214 CJ Stroud went 17 of 28, 297 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, that's the kind of performance you would have if you, I mean, to be to be in the running for the Heisman still, even if it comes at the expense of a very questionable Indiana team. I mean, it's just not they're not a great team, Mitch. Um did did last did this week kind of settle the concerns you might have had against the Penn States and the Northwesterns, even though I don't think I, I don't think they're out of the woods yet because of one uh kind of big thing that happened at the end of uh saturday i would say to a certain extent mitch it did but there's still a lot of concern in, in certain areas for ohio state the northwestern game is an anomaly on the season you actually heard some of the first questions that were asked to ohio state players and coaches by the media was how was the weather you know compared to last week and the players kind of chuckled right away it wasn't fun to play in that cold and what looked like snow at times than rain, but they were happy to be playing in that instead of the weather they played in at Northwestern where rain was literally coming down sideways. And we touched on it in a couple episodes already, Mitch, the wind was anywhere between 40 and at times almost near 70 miles per hour. Um, they did what they're supposed to do against an inferior opponent. Actually, both them and Michigan did. These are two teams on a collision course right now, Mitch, that the winner is going to more than likely get into the college football playoff after that week 13 matchup. Ohio State's run game, though, Mitch, is a big worry. This team 
can put up a lot of points. And C.J. Stroud helped his Heisman case. I, I firmly believe he is still the front runner to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, five touchdown passes, 297 yards, 17 to 28 passing. But we saw last year weather can affect this team offensively, specifically in the passing game. And if they play Michigan in week 13 in the horseshoe, and the running game is still not there. This is a team that I'm afraid has a chance to be upset for the second year in a row by Michigan. Mm. Saw Mayan Williams go down and leave. And, you know, he only had 147 yards when he went down, which is crazy to think 15 carries and a touchdown. Travion Williams didn't play. You had a couple backups come in, but Mitch, as long as Ohio state's able to pass the ball with the weather, there is not a team in the country that can stop Ohio State's passing game, especially if Jackson Smith and Jigba does come back, whether he is healthy enough to be a factor or be on the field as a decoy. That That's just where I'm at with this team. The offensively, passing game-wise, no team in the country can stop them. I don't care if it's Georgia. And luckily for Ohio State, if you play Georgia in the semifinals or the national championship, those games are going to be inside in a dome and or in warm weather climates, which is going to help them. I really, I, re- I really hate at this point of the year we've got. It's been the whole thing about the weather and how it has to be perfect for Ohio State to. to well, but at the same I, time, I know, it I know. wasn't. It wasn't perfect this past week. No, 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 no. But we saw what happened last year in Michigan when the weather wasn't good. Right. But at the same time, you can tie that in with the weather. That, Ohio State thought they were going to win because they thought they were the better team and didn't show up. But before we break this down a little more, I want to say how awesome it was to see Cameron Babb get in the end zone. A player for Ohio State who is one of the top wide receivers in the country. We're talking about Ohio State as wide receiver you right now mm-hmm. with the athletes that get in here from high school that go to the pros okay. and perform at a high level here. Cameron Babb was supposed to be one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And in his fifth year, he's not only did he catch his first career pass in the game, but it was a touchdown pass. For those that don't know, he has suffered four torn ACL injuries. And that is something that a lot of players, Mitch, some would hang up the cleats after two, let alone three. And after his fourth injury, he had missed, I believe, the entire 2018, 2019, and 2021 season. Here he is. And look, I'm not saying he's going to get a lot of run because he probably won't because of the guys ahead of him. Mm-hmm. But it was so awesome to see a guy, even if it was in in you know garbage time, finally get a catch and a touchdown after working so hard the past four and a half years to get to this point after four ACL injuries, there are some people ask, you know, why is that? Why was he crying on the field? Is he just yeah, a backup? That... He, he is just a backup now, but he was never supposed to be a backup. He was supposed to be the next top wide receiver that came to Ohio state, made a huge impact immediately and went on to the NFL to have a pretty promising career. Like we've seen with the likes of Terry McLaurin, uh, Noah Brown in, in Dallas, who I think people forget about was an Ohio state wide receiver, Paris Campbell, Curtis Samuel, Michael Thomas, Olave Wilson, the list goes on and on. Uh, but it will, I did want to make sure we pointed that out and gave him his props, not saying that he watches the podcast, but for everybody out there that did not understand, that's a long time coming for a kid like that. And it was awesome to see him finally uh, reap the benefits of working so hard to come back from four ACL injuries. I can't believe he still has like working legs. Was it, was it like, what was the ratio of ACLs? Was it, was it two and two, one and three? Was it all in one? That I don't know. I I do know. Well, I know that for a fact that he did tear one multiple times, and it was surgically oh. surgically repaired. And generally, Mitch, when you tear one, you're prone to tear another one. Oh, I'm not. Yeah. Saying, it doesn't always happen. And I'm right. don't ever say, and I wish it happens, but uh, you typically see that in a lot of female athletes actually. And then uh, just just what a time for him to come back and, and and you know finally get in the end zone. And even if you saw the 
the different replays, the players let him have his moment for a second when he went down in the end zone to, to kind of collect himself and just, you know, realize he finally did something that I think he expected to do every single game at Ohio state when he first, you know, arrived on campus. I was going to say he had his Roy Hobbs moment. So there you go. Yes. Uh, as far as the rest of the week went, not a lot of surprise. I mean, Georgia ended up killing Mississippi state, Michigan beat Nebraska. Uh, we'll get to the other one in a second. Tennessee beat Missouri. Uh, there, there are two, maybe three games that I'm like, okay, that was something. Uh, the first test for TCU after they got into the top four of the playoff standings came up against Texas. And for a while, it looked like the Longhorns were going to pull one out. And then the Horn Frogs were able to rally and, uh, Keep that this unbeaten season alive, man. And I, I wondered if TC would would have a test against them. Looks like they did, and uh, yeah, the Horned Frogs, Horned Frogs are still in the mix for the playoff. Well, and it was a true road test. Playing at Texas is a tough spot. I still to this to to where we are now thought it was extremely insulting for Texas to be a seven point favorite in that game. Um, I never understood why. Uh, we we now see that Texas has four losses, three conference losses, and the win for TCU automatically clinched a spot in the Big 12 championship yep. game, Mitch, which is huge, right? For a team to go undefeated, they need to win the conference championship. We see that as a criteria the committee holds against comparing other teams on the outside. TCU right now just has to take care of business in the next two weeks and win the Big 12 championship game, which is going to be tough because they're more than likely going to play a team they've already defeated this season. It's hard to beat a team twice. We see it all the time. Can they continue the role? But Mitch, as far as I'm concerned, if TCU continues to win and they went out, they will be in the college football playoff. You cannot keep oh, yeah. an undefeated team, no. conference champion team out. I don't care how good some people think Tennessee or other schools are. No. But at the same time, TCU doesn't have to worry about two no. teams. I'm sure that's where you're going after this point. Well, I was about to say, if, if TCU is a power five school, it's not like <clears throat> it's not like if it was undefeated Tulane or undefeated Central Florida, by the way, Central Florida beat Tulane and knocked them officially out of this, probably the top 25. Um, TCU. And I, and I'm trying to get my point back here. TCU. If, if they get it undefeated, it's very likely that they would get in. It would depend on the quality of victories that. Uh, they would have compared to the victories of Tennessee. If both schools were to win out. Because Tennessee would not have the advantage of reaching the conference championship. They would not have the advantage of winning the conference championship. They would have, as far as I can tell, I'm trying, I have to remind myself of Tennessee's schedule. I think it's not even that impressive at the end of the year, South Carolina and Vanderbilt. So even if they were to beat both schools, like a hundred to zero in both of them, I, I don't think that they could do enough to get there. If TCU doesn't know if TCU were to get upset by Kansas state in the big 12 title game, that's different. Because that's a, that's a loss right at the end of the season. And then the committee's like, okay, well, Tennessee's one loss was to the number yep. one team in the country. So, you know, if we put them again in the semifinal, that'll be interesting. And then we'll see what happens from there. But, yeah, I can't I can't imagine. You talked to me. Like, I talked myself into it, but you kind of, like, led me there at first. TCU, was, I can't put them out of the playoff, if, even if they were to go unbeaten. Um, but one team we can leave out now, and I think we can might be able to leave out the remainder of – the uh the conference unless i'm mistaken here no actually no i, I lied one, team left. one yep. of these one of these teams the pac-12 will not likely not be represented by the oregon ducks 
in the playoff after the Ducks were upset. Number six versus 25 against Washington, 37 to 34 on a late field goal. So it's up to the one team that played Friday night. And I hate, I, I hate, it's not that I hate that the Pac 12 does this sometimes. It's just that these games, I forget that they're on because I'm so focused on high school stuff the, the night before and like other things. But USC won 55 to 17 over Colorado. Shocker. Um, USC is the last gasp for the Pac-12 at this point because yep. no other team is going to make it and no other team should make it. No, you're you're 100% right. And it's not like they have a cakewalk there either, Mitch. They have a couple big games still remaining. In fact, this week they play at UCLA, another team that you can kind of count out after they lose to yeah. Arizona in a stunner. Yeah, I mean, Arizona just flat out beat UCLA this past weekend, 34 to 28. Yep. USC is the last remaining hope for the Pac-12. And if USC goes down anywhere, Tennessee fans are jumping for joy because they realize what is probably going to happen is the loser of Ohio state, Michigan, then will be out and it will more than likely be an undefeated Georgia conference champion an undefeated conference champion for the big 10 between Ohio state and Michigan TCU, and then probably Tennessee. Um, there's a lot that can still happen in the next two weeks. So we'll have to wait and see, but the PAC 12 right now, Mitch, they're down. Their last hope is the USC Trojans and with how they've played at times this year, Mitch, I don't know if we're going to see them get in. And I think, although it, it sounds hypocritical of me to say if TCU wins out, wins the conference championship, they should be in. I don't know if you could necessarily say that with USC with how they've no. looked here. If it came down to USC and Tennessee, that defense can be extremely suspect because this game against Colorado was the first time in about a month that they've given up uh, 35 points or lower. You have uh, their loss to Utah, 43, win against Arizona, 37, win against Cal, 35. The defense has been very suspect. The offense is phenomenal. Lincoln Riley has got that offensive chip in his brain that he can make it go, go for the Trojans. But I don't know if they can – like Notre Dame's kind of on a run right now, even if they though they just barely beat the, the midshipmen of Navy that – I could see USC losing that one, even if, if they if even if they if they don't lose in the Pac-12 title game, if that's what the losses reserved for, I don't know. It's going to be really tricky. And then the other matchups were uh, some mop-up games, like we mentioned, Tennessee taking their anger out on Missouri after the loss, LSU barely getting by Arkansas, which was interesting. LSU has got to be like this weird. It's such a weird two-loss team to put up in here and it's like they, they seem too high for a team that i don't think yeah. is going to make it into this playoff unless it's georgia that would be the only case but then you're talking about a two loss sec champion and we'll have to see where other schools finish yeah. that's the only way they're going to get in though mitch they, they would have to beat georgia in the sec championship but they are such a weird team uh, arkansas just lost to liberty last week yeah and then they almost beat lsu so let me ask you this if LSU were to, were to win against Georgia in the Big 12 title game, similar to what Alabama did last year against the Bulldogs, could we see I'm – th I'm thinking maybe Big Ten champion number one because you're at two and three right now. You have TCU maybe at number two or three depending on the strength of the team. Could we see Tennessee be three, slide back up from five to three, and then Georgia drop to number four, or would Georgia be out – automatically that's such a tough question because i like where you're going with that and tennessee sliding to three but is the committee going to hold the head-to-head -head record of georgia beating tennessee and let georgia slide to number three or would they say georgia's out and are we talking all of a sudden about a second big 10 team getting in are we talking about uh 
you know, if LSU does win, are they going to reward LSU and let them get in with two losses after beating the number one team in the country and beating Alabama? There's a lot, there's a lot that can go into that because if Georgia were to lose an SEC championship game, where do they go with Georgia and Tennessee? Right. Who has the, who has the more impressive win? Would you say it's Georgia knocking off Tennessee or would you say it's Tennessee beating Bama? Mm. And if you say it's Tennessee, can you really justify putting them ahead of Georgia, a team they couldn't beat? And that's where this, this discussion is going to come down to, and it's going to open up a whole can of worms and a lot of arguments across all media platforms and a lot of college football fans and teams in general. Because right now, the right now, the, the, the AP standings, if I can get them here, the, the, the football, the CFP standings don't come out till Tuesday. The AP right now is Georgia number one, Ohio State two, Michigan three, TCU four. So it's very similar to, uh, I think it's exactly as the last uh, playoff poll. Five is Tennessee. Six is LSU. So LSU gets that bump. Seven is USC. That's where it gets interesting. And if you and if that sort of situation were to happen, I could see USC jumping some people if they were to win their conference championship because you have that advantage over what would be, I'm trying to think here, uh, non-conference champion Georgia with one loss. Um, Michigan, Ohio State loser with one loss and therefore not in the Big Ten title game. I think we're just kind of assuming here too that the Big Ten champion is either going to be Ohio State or Michigan because – like what? What are they going to do? What are they, who are they going to face off with? Illinois, who just lost to Michigan State. And uh, Purdue. I mean, the, the, Purdue. You know, we still I, I always, I always get frustrated when we play Purdue because I always feel like it's going to be a weird, like them and Iowa. I always feel it's going to be close for some reason. Yeah. But I don't know, man. And then, and then Alabama, I think, just has too many flaws at this point. I swear to God, if they decide to do anything with Clemson, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm no, going to do. I, I I feel confident telling you you don't have to worry about Alabama or Clemson right that's, now. That's that's good. I, I I have the same feeling. It's just that you know that's that bias we all like to talk about. That I, it, it's it's seared in the back of my mind sometimes. Uh, but yeah, we'll see where the playoff goes. We'll see where the rest of the NFL goes after this upcoming segment, uh, where we mourn the loss of a dear friend. Stay tuned. You asked for it and we listened. Buckeye Career Center is now offering certified nail technician as an adult education program. This 216-hour course begins in November and will run Tuesday through Thursday evenings from 5 to 9 p.m. Learn manicures, pedicures, infection control, salon operations, and more. Other part-time certification courses starting this fall include phlebotomy and welding. Call 330-339-2288 to register or visit BuckeyeCareerCenter.org for more information. If you're looking for a new or pre-owned car or truck, why not see the Parkway Auto Group? Parkway is a special group of automotive experts with eight brands to satisfy your needs. Come see the difference at the Parkway Auto Group on Commercial Parkway in Dover. Eight brands and one family. It's Parkway Auto Group. The Furby Electric Supply Company has bright ideas for your home. Save money by converting to energy-efficient electrical products or add ambiance with beautiful lighting features. It begins with a professional consultation and a visit to the Furby Lighting Showroom. Then certified Furby contractors complete your project right and on time. Since 1934, four generations have built a reputation of quality and trust, and they offer emergency services too. Just visit Furby.com. That's F-U-R-B-A-Y. The Furby Electric Supply Company. It takes a lot of practice to have a winning team. Alban Title has over 100 years of combined experience handling real estate, title, and escrow transactions. They serve Tuscarawas, Stark, Carroll, Harrison Counties, and more. So choose Alban Title for your next home refinance, sale, or purchase. They'll get it done quickly and professionally. Contact Alban Title at 330 330- 
334-5800 or visit their website albantitle.com. Let them put their experience to work for you. Where you matter. You matter. Everyone plays a part. We all have a role. Each of us can make a difference. You do matter, and the best way to have a positive impact is to pay it forward. With each of us helping one another to cope, feel better, and know that we belong. Pass on the positivity today. Tell someone else they matter too. Alt Care. Alt Care, Alt Care. Where you matter. Fall is in the air and part-time career enhancement courses at Buckeye Career Center are on the horizon. Registration is now open for introduction to beekeeping, basic small engine repair, and sign language. These part-time offerings run on Tuesday evenings and begin in November. Let Buckeye Career Center help you learn a new skill or advance your current skill set. Call 330-339-2288 for more information or to reserve your seat in one of these or our other part-time classes. Dear friends, thank you for coming. We gather here today to honor the loss of a dear friend of ours, one who was born with such promise, such potential, and seemingly a zest for life. They were taken from us too soon and in such tragic circumstances. We lose a frustrating individual, but a struggling one at that. We lose someone who had their own personal demons in short term and in long. And it will be difficult with them by our side. Mitch, the Cleveland Browns suck again and again and again. Okay. They suck. I, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. I can't do the funeral bit anymore. I'm sorry. I'm 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 so frustrated after last yesterday. All right. You can take your glasses off, man. You're not in the matrix anymore. Let's just talk about this Browns Dolphins game quick so we can get on to the rest of the league. Did I scare you? No, there you didn't scare me. I just so there's nothing to talk about other than the Cleveland Browns suck. I mean, this is a team that uh, I, I I think for the first time in my life, I take joy in saying they were going to suck. They just, uh, I, I think if anything, I would just love to be inside the headquarters at Berea. And I'd like to know what these players and coaches did during the bye week and then what they did in preparation to play Miami. Um, you know, as we mourn the loss of this team, because they are not going to make the playoffs, uh, Deshaun Watson is not going to run the table. Uh, if you think he is, that's hysterical because he hasn't taken a snap in a game in over 700 days by the time he comes back against the Houston Texans. This isn't a good football team. This isn't a good coach team. I don't care if you want to talk about offense, special teams, defense. This team is a bottom five team in the NFL. It's as simple as that. 39 to 17. All I heard this past week, Mitch, was this win against the Bengals sets them up now to go on a run. This is what they're going to do. No, what they did was they did what they do every year against the Bengals. They smoke the Bengals. They draw us fans back in 
And then they get blown out. Now they're going to go on a losing streak. And then guess what? We play Cincinnati in, I think, four or five weeks. So we'll beat them again. And it's, oh my gosh, if we went out, we're going to the playoffs and we're not going to win out because we're the Cleveland Browns. And we have a guy at defensive coordinator who will be fired at the end of the year. You have a head coach that if things don't look better, when Deshaun Watson does come back, he will be unemployed by the end of the year and be an offensive coordinator for a team next year. This team is so bad. And I don't know where you want to start. The where I'll start is they only wanted to stop the pass. And they kind of did with how good Tua and the offense has been this year. Um, Mitch, last time I checked, though, you have to stop the run in the pass. And a team that came into the game averaging 89 yards on the ground ran for 195 yards on the ground. So where are all these analytical people that say, if we have smaller and faster defensive tackles, we're going to be okay. Because yesterday, I would have been able to put up a better fight against that run game than any defensive tackle the Browns have put out there this year. Mitch, you and I could have gone out there and given the same effort that almost every single player on the Browns defense did yesterday. The only one that played well was number 51. I don't even know who he is. I don't know how to say his last name, but my goodness, he made a nice play in the end zone. He's the only one that showed up. Miles Garrett, his face is about to go on a milk carton because he's missing. Javion Clowney is stealing money from the Cleveland Browns. John Johnson, I heard, is wanted for theft for stealing money from the Cleveland Browns. Grant Delpit got suspended for one play. Um, and Greg Newsom has had an awful sophomore season. Denzel Ward, highest paid quarter in football. Well, that looks idiotic at this point by Andrew Barry. This team isn't good. Jacoby Brissett isn't good. You know what Jacoby Brissett, Mitch, is? What he is? Because I told you what he is. What is he? He's a career backup that wins one and loses two. And our record is three and six, which I'm not good at math, but wouldn't that mean they won one and then lost two? God, you're right. I didn't even think about that. That's exactly where we are. You cannot win if you don't give your best player the ball. And I don't care what you say. I don't care anybody out there what they say. Hindsight's 2020. Well, it is. Well, guess what? The only analytic number you need is the Browns are three and oh, when Nick Chubb gets 20 carries or more and they're oh, and six when he doesn't Nick Chubb, your best player on your football team got 11 carries yesterday. Oh, he fumbled. Everybody fumbles. He doesn't fumble often. Okay. It's not like he's a running back that we worry every time he gets the ball. Oh, is he going to fumble here? No, he fumbles what twice a year. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, he fumbled at an op- inopportune time. Yes. Granted. Kevin Stefanski is nothing more than an offensive coordinator that is one of the best in football at scripting the first drive in a football game. He cannot be your head coach and call plays at the same time. He doesn't know how to game manage. They, I am confident in saying he's lost the locker room because these players are giving up. This team is dead. They're probably going to go into Buffalo, even though they're nine-point underdogs, and mm. they're probably going to somehow put up a fight against a pissed-off Bills team that just lost to the Vikings. And... If they beat them, will I be shocked somewhat? But at the same time, no, because the Browns always beat a team they have no business beating, and this could very well be the game. And then everyone's going to be sucked back in and go, oh, my gosh, the Bucs aren't that good. We can beat Tom Brady. No, Tom Brady's going to end your season officially in Cleveland. Okay, so either the Bills or the Bucs are, and Deshaun Watson's going to come back, and you have nothing to play for. You don't have a first-round draft pick. This team is dead. The coaching staff sucks. Andrew Barry, all of a sudden, Mitch, the decisions he's made recently in the past couple of years – it's fair to start to question them, and I don't know where they go. But I am extremely confident in saying if they don't even look good, I don't care if they lose out. If they don't look good when Deshaun Watson comes back, Kevin Stefanski won't be back. It's not a for sure thing that he's coming back next year. If they look bad in six games with Watson, he's gone. It's as simple as that. That's kind of what I what I had wondered if the Browns completely were to tank out in the pre-Watson phase. And look, they're gonna. I'm the exact opposite with you when it comes to Buffalo. I think they're gonna get, gonna get 
boat raced by a pissed off Buffalo team. They're going to get boat raced by a pissed off divorced Tom Brady. And I, I, despite many of the issues that I saw in, in Germany on Sunday, this team is really, really, really struggling. And on paper, man, it seems like this can be a very capable roster. And for whatever reason, they're just, they're not, the, the run game aside from yesterday, because this team has had these struggles all year, they just give up these, these major plays. They don't tackle very well at times. And it, oh it, I was starting to agree with you. It, it started to seem like they were kind of given up at this point in the year. And I understand it can be very difficult to go to your, your job as an athlete day in or day out, week in or week out. If you're getting shellacked every game and the practices seem like they're just not helping at all. It, it would be hard to be motivated at this point in the year. And uh, I don't know. And the, and like you said, the team is just not able to adjust. They don't adjust very well. They don't adjust to, to anything in game. I'm looking at what they're trying to do on offense. And I, and, and Jacoby, I give more credit than I think you do because I think he's a very capable quarterback. And I understand there's a difference between capable and a franchise guy like Watson, but you never see him as like a major problem in your system. Jacoby will, will have a few mistakes here and there, but he's never, he never, I don't think he t- necessarily takes away from the team. Doesn't add a lot to it, but doesn't restrain the team so much that it starts to really hurt them. Just right now, th- this was This was always going to be a tough stretch in the schedule. The dolphins uh, are better than I thought they would be at this point in the season before the year started. Now you got to face more of the East might go. zero and four against the East, which is really saying something. Um, yeah, it's going to be uh it's going to be a tough couple of weeks here, I think for Cleveland and who knows what'll happen. Who knows if there will be any cleaning of house, uh, when the season ends. Well, it, my whole thing is there's nobody that shows emotion. There, there's no player that shows emotion. There's no coach that shows emotion. Okay. I'm not asking you to be able to scream and, and, and get in people's faces every game, but this might not be the best example, but Mike McCarthy yesterday for the Cowboys made a pretty stupid mistake. And going forward on fourth and four in overtime, yeah. and the Packers then stopped him. But at least he showed emotion afterwards and took off his headset and threw it to the ground. And it actually broke because they showed him a couple plays later, still no headset on people next to him trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. Kevin Stefanski, all Kevin Stefanski does is this is all he does. You got to turn 90 he, degrees. So you're holding just, it with one hand like he does. Yep. He just, he just hides yep. behind his Denny's menu that he has as a, as a sheet to call plays that he doesn't even know what he's calling half the time because the plays don't work after the first drive. The only time they work is when you play the Cincinnati Bengals because we own the city of Cincinnati and the football team in Cincinnati. That's about it. The, we have five. We are five and eleven in our last sixteen games, and the teams they've beaten are bad football teams. They beat the Lions last year. Yeah. The JV Bengals yep. in the last game of the regular season. You beat the Panthers this year. Mm-hmm. You beat Mitch Trubisky and the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. and then you beat the Bengals. Yep. That's your five and 11, your last 16 games. Okay. So last year's gone, but all the excuses we made last year, Mitch, something is still here. That's the main cause of the issue. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not willing to say it's miles Garrett, but we can't have this conversation anymore about miles Garrett being the best player in football, at least best defensive player in football. If he's going to disappear and take himself out of games like he did yesterday and in, and watching replays of, of games and he shows no effort. I get, I get it. The dude is built different. The dude is one of the best players in football when he's motivated and wants to play. But yesterday was an awful look by him. Jadavion Clowney, I don't, I mean, that, 
I don't know why we kept him for one year. He's excited for Deshaun Watson, though, Mitch. Don't worry. He said how excited he is for Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, maybe Clowney just doesn't want to play until Watson's back. This team's a mess. It goes all the way up to ownership. And they are dead. They are dead. I don't care if they do somehow spring the upset of the year and beat the Bills. I don't care what happens. This team is not a playoff team. And if by the grace of God, they somehow get in the playoffs, they're getting smoked. Why would you even want to get there? You want a participation ribbon? Because I don't. I mean, I this, it, this team is just so dead, and I can't take it anymore. Your best player is Nick Chubb, and we refuse to give him the ball as many times as we want, or as many times as we should, excuse me. But at least we know Nick Chubb is still going to show up and play hard. I mean, at least we know that. I mean, we know he's not a vocal leader. We've had him here for, what, four or five years now? Yeah. It's it's just a joke. It really is. We're the Cleveland Clowns. It's the Browns as the Browns, and that's all there is to it. Um, I'm not happy they're done, but at the same time, I am. Because we'll talk about it here and there the next couple of weeks, and when Deshaun comes back, it'll be a different story. But Deshaun Watson doesn't play defense, Mitch. He's not going to fix all the problems for everyone out there that thinks he, he's – Deshaun comes back, we're winning. Well, he doesn't play defensive tackle. He doesn't play in the secondary. He doesn't play special teams. So he's not going to fix everything, people. Wake up. He doesn't. Uh, the only the only silver lining, I think, is that after this Buffalo and Tampa Bay stretch, you have about all five of your remaining – all six of your remaining games, excuse me, on, in the Watson bill. They're winnable. This is not – you're not going up against a heavy favorite. You're not going up against a serious playoff contender – Maybe save for Baltimore. Even Baltimore. then, Baltimore is. Uh, uh, we'll. I think we'll end the season respectably, but it's not gonna. You're not. We're not gonna make the playoffs. We're not gonna. You know, do anything crazy. If we just get into this off season with a few more wins, like all right, got to chalk it up to a bad start, and then maybe we have to clean house. Maybe maybe we do see an example of Stefanski really not being able to adjust or. When, when I talk, when I hear the talks about Savansky motivating the guys, it's kind of tough because he is trying to keep that air of professionalism in the building. He doesn't want to draw any attention. He doesn't want to draw the headlines. And I understand that. And I do respect that because there is something to keeping uh, this mask on your face where what, even when you're struggling, you don't want to show your struggle. Some teams do that better than others. It is very difficult to warrant keeping that mask on when your team is continually losing and in these more so creative ways that were like the previous regimes before you. And it's like, if you're not the difference maker that like we thought you were, then what are you? Uh, I don't know. I don't, this is going to be, this is I'm 50 50 right now as to whether Stefanski will come back this year, but this is just a hunch feeling this isn't this i have no insider information on it or any stuff that would lead me to believe that it's more so just my feeling which i know is about as worth as much as a it's about as worth as much as this balled up piece of paper that was lost in all the the notebooks that i threw let's talk about good football mitch so we get away from the future this is like the uh like do you ever no, I was about to say, I don't think I've ever been to, ever been to one either. But there are, I have seen that some people, when they do have funerals, they actually have like these major celebrations after. But the one celebration we can go to was maybe the game of the year in Buffalo yesterday, where you have that Vikings jersey hung up there, where the Vikings prove that they might be this serious team now, 8-1 and one on the year after 
I'll admit, took some luck for them to get that victory. No doubt. But when it looked like they could have easily packed it in and folded, they didn't. And they made the most of uh, uh, some some key mistakes from the Bills, especially one near the end, Josh Allen uh, throwing that interception. And uh, it's just one of those games where it could have gone either way for either team, and it just went the way of the – the purple people. So Mitch, I mean, where were you when you saw the ending in that game? I was here. Uh, we had red zone on because we, you know, that's the nice thing about having red zone. If you're a Browns fan, you really should get it because, you know, as we know, the game's usually over by halftime. So you need to watch something else. Um, actually then flipped. We actually had that game on cable. So we flipped it on, on Fox. And I remember watching it all afternoon and seeing the bills were up and I thought, Oh man, you know, I picked the Vikings to win in her pick a Mitch. And I thought, damn, you know what? The Bills came out. They were upset. They lost the Jets. Maybe the Vikings aren't for real. No. Mitch, I think it's safe to say there is no more. This is the worst 7-1 football team of all time. Uh, this this team's good. They're, it really is. Now, do I still have doubts about them? Absolutely. Yeah. The catch of the year, though, probably the greatest catch we've seen in our lifetime. That that Justin Jefferson catch, to me, was better than the Odell catch and was probably better in terms of just pure skill than the David Tyree catch against his helmet in the Super Bowl against the Patriots in 2007. Um, now, obviously, we know that catch meant more at the time because the Giants went on to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. But that was just an unreal catch that I don't – you can't even practice that type of catch. You can practice one-handed catches all you want. You can't practice that. Just the pure emotion of the Bills thinking they were going to lose to getting a fourth down stop. Yeah. The thinking, oh, my gosh, it's over. The Buffalo Bills tweet out they won. To Josh Allen fumbling the snap and the Vikings recovering in the end zone to me telling the folks I was watching with this still isn't over because Allen can get that team down the field. And sure enough, he does to going to overtime. And you're just wondering, oh, my gosh, is this where Kirk Cousins does Kirk Cousins things and throws a pick or, you know, whatever it is. And he throws the ball backwards that luckily Dalvin Cook fell on it. That was technically a fumble. Um it was just an all-time great football game. And it was the game of the year by far. It's going to be hard to top that this year. The Bills, six and three, and they have now played themselves out of the number one seed. Remember when they went to Kansas City and they beat the Chiefs and it was like, yeah. there it is. The Bills get home field advantage. Nope, they're out now. It's the back to the Chiefs, the team that nobody wants to go play in the playoffs, except the Bengals, apparently. And they're going to host the playoffs through Arrowhead unless they slip up somewhere. And the Vikings, Mitch, if the Eagles slip up somewhere, it's going to take twice for the Eagles to slip up. But the Vikings are legit in this game was everything you could have wanted as a football fan in general. Yeah, can we mention too, by the way, that the Bills got multiple breaks throughout the overtime period? Oh. First of all, oh. first of all, they had 12 men on the field on the field for that one play, which was what five uh, it was um right after the Vikings got that pass over to Jefferson, who had the game of a lifetime. It was on the next play, uh Dalvin Cook was stopped for a loss. It was yep. Kevin O'Connell who said afterwards that he believed that there were 12 men on the field. Replay show. There were clearly 12 men on the field. That should have been a penalty. And then on Buffalo's, I believe their next, no, it was, was it their first drive of overtime or it was last the drive regulation? Last drive regulation. Last drive regulation where you see the catch by Gabe Davis down the sideline. Fantastic catch, but that ball should have been incomplete. And Walt Anderson, who is the NFL's senior vice president of officiating, later told a poor reporter, this is according to ESPN, that the play should have been reviewed and that it would have been reversed to incomplete if it had been. So that game could have that game could have 
easily gone against Minnesota at multiple points, and somehow they're able to pull that off. That throw that Allen makes at the end, it's a good throw, but not it's, it's a well-thrown ball. The receiver that he was throwing to, and I, don't, I can't remember who it is at the top, top of my head, he didn't even look like he was going to get the ball thrown to him. And then in, right in front of him is the defender to make that interception, Patrick Peterson. So, yeah, this, is, this was a really seriously cool – I almost wanted the game to end in a tie because of all the stuff that had happened, and then we could have maybe gotten that matchup in February because that would have been such a – that would be a really cool – like storyline that I don't think we've ever gotten in NFL history where a team, two teams have played each other in, in the middle of the season, they tie in a good game and then they play in the Super Bowl against each other. I don't know if that's happened before. If so, um, someone let me know, but otherwise that, that was just fantastic and good for Kirk Cousins. Good for Mr. Mr. One, one o'clock Eastern. And I, even you got me doing it now because you do it so much, but I, I that's, that's one of the, one of the worries I have still is what can he show up in primetime? I hope he, Hey, listen, he can prove me wrong only once game was at one o'clock though. Yeah. As far as the other games go, I mean, I'm looking through some of the matchups uh, that we had here. You had Pittsburgh beating the saints, which is uh, uh, you had the Buccaneers in Germany beating Seattle, even though they gave them so many opportunities to come back from a 21 to three deficit. I can't say that that was the worst play in NFL history with Tom Brady uh, as working as the receiver. Cause I have seen him work as a receiver before infamously in the Super Bowl against the, the Eagles. It like Leonard Fournette. I don't even think he was wearing like there are special pads that players wear to be able to throw as a quarterback. Correct. I don't even I think he was wearing anyone's like those. They looked like so shoulder heavy on him that he, he kind of just went like, like that. But I don't know what was happening there. Um, as far as the other games, any ones that really stuck out to you? Because a lot of them are very base. Well, before we get to the the big primetime one, Mitch, a few weeks, I don't know if it was a week ago or a few weeks ago, I think it was last weekend, where a certain Twitter user commented on the status of one AFC West team known as the Las Vegas Raiders. This Twitter user said that they look horrible. Fair enough. I mean, they haven't looked great all year, and this is just some random Twitter user. That Twitter user, Mitch, uh, later got a job as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts and then beat those Raiders 25-20. to 20. Jeff Saturday is 1-0 as a head coach in the NFL. Discuss. I've, I, I don't know what really there is to discuss. The Raiders are bad, but the Colts rallied, and Jeff Saturday got those guys fired up to, and wanted to play football. First off, he reinserted Matt Ryan as the starting quarterback, yeah. which probably is the right move. Um, and I told you, now I'm not saying they're going to, but I told you this team isn't really eliminated from playoff contention yet because they're in the AFC South. Four, five, and one now. And as we saw last year, the Steelers got in because they had a tie. Literally, they made the playoffs because they tied. Yeah. Tie can help or hurt a team. And in this case, if the Colts were to run the table or do something like that, the tie could help them. But Jeff Saturday, Mitch, one and oh. One and zero. I mean, I, we all it was a clean sweep across the board out of everybody we talked to when we're doing pick them. The everybody picked the Raiders. We didn't think the Colts could do this. What does it say about the Raiders? That's where I'm at. What does it say. say about the Las Vegas Raiders and Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr and Devontae Adams and everybody on that team? I think it says more about the Raiders than it does the Colts and Jeff Saturday. I agree with that because this guy came in and had a week's worth of preparation as a head coach and you still can't get that win against them. They're really going down this slide right now. And I would argue, I, I think McDaniels has more of a chance to get fired at the end of this year than Stefanski does at this, oh, point, I, at this point. 
I, I agree. And unfortunately it's, it sucks because Josh is a, a Ohio native. He's a Canton, Ohio native. So right down the street, his dad was a, one of the best coaches uh, and is a very well-respected man here around Northeast Ohio. He coached at Canton McKinley yep. uh, here at Jackson. So th- there's a lot of ties here to Canton, Ohio, but it, it's just tough because you have to take into account what he did in Denver as the head football coach and how it spiraled out of control. And now he comes in after years of being the offensive coordinator again in New England, and now it's just it's bad. They made perhaps one of the biggest splashes in the offseason – if not the biggest splash for a non-quarterback in acquiring Devontae Adams. And they've looked awful. They really have. Derek Carr's looked terrible. Devontae Adams and him are not on the same page, even though we expected them to be. We thought this offense would be amazing because McDaniels is his offensive guru. I, I I don't know what to say about the Raiders anymore. I really don't. You see that's that one place Stephon Gilmore had on Adams in the end zone to uh to win that or to seal that victory for Indianapolis, which is just tough for yeah. Vegas, man. Tough for Vegas, but uh, very good for Indy. And you're right. They're at four and five, six, or four, five, and one. Six and three at Tennessee, they have to catch up to. And Tennessee ended up beating Denver yesterday, 17 to 10, in the most attractive game of the year. Um, you also had the Packers up against the Cowboys, and Green yep. Bay won that one in overtime. That was the one where I just knew the Packers were going to win it once it got to overtime. Just whatever. And then how did the, how am I the only person that took, I guess I'm the one that looks wrong. I took the chargers in the primetime game and the 49ers ended up winning 22 to 16. Like, like San Francisco might run away, not run away with the division because Seattle's still up there. But even then Seattle is six and four. The, the 49ers are five and four. This is probably a two-man race now because the Cardinals and Rams canceled each other out yesterday. The Rams are three. That's that season's done. That this yep. is over. This is so stupid. Um, like one of the biggest, most obvious examples of Super Bowl hangover I've seen in quite a while. No, you're absolutely right. And the and that game was just so so bad because you had to watch Colt McCoy play Wolford. And then even Trace McSorley made an appearance for the Arizona Cardinals yesterday, handed the ball off. So there was that, but the Niners are a tough team and we've seen it before. They do this all the time. They just kind of hang around, hang around next thing you know, they're in the NFC championship game. Um, I do think though, that they are the better team on paper. Uh, when you put them and the Seahawks up against each other, I do expect them to win the NFC West. I'm not really not the Seahawks because they have been, you know, a yeah. surprise this season. Seattle's still the front runner as far as I'm concerned, but yeah, in, San Francisco could do some serious damage. In terms of the primetime game, though, Mitch, I just don't have any faith in the Los Angeles Chargers. I get they are very depleted right now with injuries. That's yeah, that's a major factor. But even before that, I still had a lot of question marks around that team. We did our NFL preview show before week one of the NFL season. Yep. I'm not a believer in Staley as the head coach. I'm not ready to tout Justin Herbert as this next quarterback because he has shown nothing to deserve that right joe burrow has joe burrow showed up in the playoffs and led his team to the super bowl justin herbert hasn't made the playoffs and uh if i'm i have to look at some numbers but if i'm not mistaken i don't know if he's ever been one game over 500 as the starting quarterback of the chargers i mean they're they're just they're i don't know what it is i think it's staley as head coach but the Niners, I had a feeling we're going to win that game. I think the Niners are a team that now we're talking about teams coming down to the end of the NFC. It's the Eagles, Vikings, and Niners, in my opinion. Um, I'm not counting out the Bucs. I think the win they got over the Rams was the type of win they needed. They win yep. there. They have a bye yep. now. I 
fully expect them to come out and be the Bucks we expected. I'm not ready to count out the Packers yet for as bad as they look because a win like that yesterday, where you saw the raw emotion of Rodgers after he completed that pass to Alan Lazard in overtime, him running down the field, jumping up, fist pumping, you know, punching the air. You do not want to give Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers any opportunities. And right now, these guys still have opportunities ahead of them, and you cannot count them out until they're officially out. That's why that game yesterday says more to me about the Packers than it does the Cowboys. Yeah. I think the Cowboys are a good team. I think the Packers are very much still alive. Division-wise, though, it's going to take a lot, but they could sneak in as that seven, seven seed in the playoffs. Maybe, because they are four and six. Minnesota is eight and one. As far as the Buccaneers go, yeah, they're going to get back to 500 next week against the Browns. And then you have the, the Saints, the Niners, the Bengals, the Cardinals, the Panthers, and the Falcons. So that's one, two, three, I'd say four, maybe five, six winnable games. Yeah. Maybe I could see that. Um, but yeah, as far as the standings go, because we didn't really go over the standings very much in terms of the conference right now. If the playoffs were to end today, uh, then it would be Kansas City, Miami, Tennessee, uh, Baltimore, the Jets. How about this? All AFC, Jets, Bills, and Patriots are the top ones right now. The Patriots, I guess, have the, the advantage over the Chargers and the Bengals. So we could see in all four uh, uh, AFC East playoff. Then we have Eagles, Vikings, Giants, uh, Seahawks, and then or no, excuse me, Eagles, Vikings, Seahawks, and Buccaneers. Yeah, because of the division. So then you would have uh, the Giants, the Cowboys, and the 49ers. Washington's still still in the mix at four and five. It's fascinating to me. Although Washington does play tonight at uh at Philadelphia, so yep. no in Washington, excuse me, I think. In Philly. That's in Philly? Yeah, that's right. It's in Philly. So, yeah, we'll probably see Philly go 9-0, but who knows at this point. Uh, who knows what's going to happen this coming week. So, we'll come on back right after this. We'll go more into some basketball because the Cavs are on a bit of a, a dry run right now. We all have 206 things in common. Our bones keep us up and moving. And we at Cleveland Clinic Union Hospital care about every single one of them. From the tip of your finger to a brand new hip, our orthopedic experts will keep you going while keeping you safe. For every break and breakthrough, for every bone and joint, for every care in the world. Get the care you need when and where you need it. Visit unionhospital.org. Hard work is something you're accustomed to. Van Nostren Young understands that principle. Our access is achieved with organizations like Grange Insurance, Safety and prevention specialists utilize our VanCan assessments process to ensure that you and your colleagues are in the best hands. You want the safest environment for your business, and we can guide you there. Call Van Nostra Young Insurance in North Canton at 330-496. You deserve the best. And at Ferris Chevrolet, Buick, Cadillac, Toyota, that's what you get. We consider you the customer to be part of our family. Anybody can make promises, but when you visit Ferris, you get the Ferris deal from a Ferris wheel. So if you're looking for a car, truck, or van, think Ferris. 
If you're purchasing a new home, the team at Hartzler's Quality Housing is here to help. Take advantage of record low interest rates to make your new home a reality. Locally owned and operated since 1978, Hartzler's Quality Housing has the experience to guide you through the process. You'll find a wide selection of model homes on site to fit any budget. Open six days a week just off I-77. You can also visit them online at Hartzlers.com. Hartzlers Quality Housing. Quality from start to finish. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut skin on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Try them today, only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's, taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. And we're back here for the final segment of the Big Time Sports Podcast Show, Mitch Spinell and Mitchell Bala. So, Mitch, I want to go over to basketball now because the Cavaliers going on a bit of a, a dry run right now. They've lost four in a row. They came back from their West Coast road trip with losses to the Clippers, the Kings, and the Warriors in that order. And now they lose to the Minnesota Timberwolves last night despite Darius Garland really going off in the fourth quarter. 27 points in that quarter, 51 points overall. And the Timberwolves still find a way to beat them. So the Cavs now, it doesn't get much easier for them, by the way, because you got to go face off with 10 and 2 Milwaukee um, this coming Wednesday. So, what what is the Cavaliers' biggest issue right now? Is it just them running into some good teams after such a hot start to the year, or is there some serious issues? I think there's a, a number of issues. I think, first off, you talk about consistency and trying to form the chemistry. Garland missed that much time. They had a couple of good games against a few inferior opponents. Obviously, they beat the Celtics together, um, but then they both sit against the Detroit Pistons. They come back and they beat the Lakers, who aren't good. And when you play good teams, it's going to affect you here early on in the season. Right now, they have a lack of energy in terms of transition defense. Teams are getting out and running and scoring on the Cavaliers easily. Um, and they also have... Mitch, I don't know what it is. They don't like to hold leads in the fourth quarter. They also don't like to have the lead in the fourth quarter because they love to mount these comebacks that we've seen in a number of games so far this season. They tried to do it last night against the Timberwolves. Being down 20 after one quarter of play is never going to help you, though. Like you mentioned, Garland drops 51-27 in the fourth. Mitchell and Jared Allen did not play last night. Okay. Sure. It's whatever you want to say about it, that's fine. There are some issues, though. I mean, some worries, I would say. But it's early on in the season. I'm not sitting here worried. The goal for me has never changed. The goal for this team is to get in the playoffs and win a series. And I still think that's extremely attainable. And I think they will do that. Mitch, when they got off to the eight and one start, there were people saying, oh my gosh, this team could win the Eastern conference. And it's, you have to weather your expectations a little bit. They were going to peak and they're going to have some lows. And right now they're on a low because of the chemistry, lack of transition defense, and just guys being out. It's going to happen. I'm not worried about it. I'm not blaming the official guy, Mitch, but the two minute, report would go to prove that the officials did hurt the Cavaliers in games in Sacramento and against the Golden State Warriors in which they lost both those games closely. The Golden State Warriors won, Mitch. I actually got to watch the end of once I returned home from Creator Stadium on Friday. Yeah. The illegal screen by Clay Thompson that resulted to a Steph Curry three that wasn't called was one of the most obvious things I've ever seen. Clay Thompson is in the air when he sets the screen, jumping to set the screen. I mean, feet aren't even on the ground. Isaac Okoro goes down hard and Steph Curry goes to the right of the pick and drains a three. And really 
uh, J.B. Bickerstaff, you know, voiced his displeasure in the post-game uh, media availability. Mm-hmm. Said, you know, the officials did cost us, and I'm not blaming the officials, guy. But when the two-minute report comes out and they say, yes, we missed some calls, it's going to happen. It really is. Good teams with well-known players, if not some of the best players in basketball in the world, are going to get more calls than you. We would know. We had LeBron James here for two different times, and he generally gets a lot of calls. But that was twice now in the past week. The Warriors won games they shouldn't have won because they got calls or no calls. They beat, I'm trying to think who it was. I want to say it was almost Sacramento. I know they lost to him last night, but I believe it was Sacramento earlier in the week where there was two missed calls and they came out and said, yeah, the Warriors should have never been awarded those points and or the foul should have been called, which would have benefited Sacramento. It happens. I'm not too worried about it. I expected this team to go and have some ups and downs. Mitch, this is a journey now. When we had LeBron James, it was always, okay, I'll watch, you know, five games during the regular season with some serious intent. Other than that, I'll have them on just to watch for fun. I'm going to watch all these games, but at the same time, it's early on in the season. Let's, get worried when it's late January, early February. I agree with that. And uh, speaking of Sacramento, uh, the Cavs lose to them. The Warriors lose to them now. I'm fascinated with them because they're six and six right now. Coach Mike Brown might have something, uh, something cooking early on. We don't know for sure yet, but Darren Fox and Demona Sabonis, I do like that, uh, that duo and uh, Kevin Huerter and uh, Keegan Murray are are doing some decent things. And I wish the the Browns Cavaliers would go after somebody like a, Harrison Barnes or a Kelly Oubre type near the deadline, but uh, who knows? We'll have any trade capital for that. As far as uh, the rest of the show goes, there is one um, subject I wanted to get to with you. It's officially college basketball season. Uh, we have some games in the books right now. Ohio state has a few of them uh, already in action. And uh, the top four is your usual suspects. Your, your North Carolina's your Gonzaga's and your Houston's and uh, all those teams had a couple of big upsets. We saw temple upset uh, Villanova here just a few days ago and they ended up storming the court uh, twice. So I want to talk about the, the not so much the games themselves, but their locations, because we see this a lot in the early stages of college basketball, when it's mainly just top five teams playing against each other and random schools trying to fill the, the gaps in the schedule. We saw a game, Two different games take place in unique locations. One was on a ship this week. Yeah. College basketball game. Uh, try and uh, see who it was specifically. The game was between uh, – or it was Gonzaga and Michigan State in the Armed Forces Classic when you have uh, uh, the game being played on, like, the deck of that huge uh, – uh, I think it was the USS Abraham Lincoln. I think it was – yeah, it was. What are your thoughts on, like – not so much the games being on ships themselves, but like, but the outdoor settings that we see sometimes in college basketball. Because I remember Ohio State was supposed to play one a few years ago uh, against, I can't remember, but the floor ended up being so slick by game time that it was unplayable, and they ended up canceling that game. What are your thoughts on uh, on outdoor college basketball games? I think it's cool. I think it's a different dynamic. Um, I specifically like playing on the carrier because uh, generally they play this game right around veterans day. And so you play it in front of the men and women that, you know, sacrifice so much to allow us to do things in our everyday life. that I think people take for granted. Um, But I, I, I personally like it, especially when it's early on, because we know in college basketball, the early on losses, especially when they are big time teams against big time teams rarely come back to hurt you, Mitch. Um, and it's so early in college basketball that sometimes people forget it's starting already. 
Um, I personally think college basketball starts a little bit too early, at least division one, but I have no issue with it. I just don't know what else you can really do. I mean, what are they going to do? Put it at a park one day up in the Bronx in New York, where you see all those games played. Um, are they going to put it, you know, we, we see that the final fours and championship games played inside football stadiums where they put the court right. there. What else, what else are they going to possibly do? It's a, it's a unique dynamic they have. Uh, you you see it with hockey actually more times than not. Hockey tries to play outside. Yeah. And we're going to have Ohio State and Michigan hockey played at First Energy Stadium here in February, I believe, which is really really cool. I think because you think of hockey as an outdoor cold sport. I have no issue with it though. I really think it's cool. I know that obviously it was canceled when your Ohio State was supposed to play in it. Um, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. I think that uh, you see how difficult it is sometimes to go from playing inside a gym with a backdrop to going and playing on water of the ocean yeah, uh, where the backdrop is literally nothing but the water in some instances. But I mean, I don't know. Do you have a problem with it? Not necessarily. I mean, if, if the game is be able to be played in that setting, then that's fine. It's just such a, a unique circumstance. You know, somebody's, you know, one of those players is getting seasick. Oh, 100%. There. I have to, I have to see if there's an actual, there should be an actual, like somebody, I might research that and see if I can write some up on that because that is interesting to me. But the other game that I was very fascinated, you mentioned, uh, where else can they play them? Well, one of the games is at a baseball park. And that was between Wisconsin and Stanford. That was the uh, Brew City Classic, I believe. Or no, yeah, I believe it was something called like that. Brew City Battle, excuse me. Um, first two th- Number two things. Number one, I, I just found out today that Miller Park is no longer called Miller Park in Milwaukee. I just found that out, and I hate that I didn't know that before. It's called American Family Field. That is so offensive and disgusting. This is like when – no, I can't say that because that was a bad corporate sponsor too. But but the one of the most egregious ones is when they changed um, U.S. Cellular Field in Chicago to Guaranteed Rate Field, which rolls right off the tongue. Um but no, I saw like the they showed like the wide shot of Miller Park or American Family Field, and you could see the the basketball field is just the basketball court is just plastered onto the baseball field just flat. That's gotta leave some serious markups on that field and in the, and in that dirt. But if they can get it done, then it's interesting to me. I just didn't like how there was so much empty space in the stadium. Did you notice that? Because it just felt yeah. like everybody was condensed right around the pitcher's mound. You're like me. I hate when they play in big arenas and they can't get get it sold out because I just think it kind of hurts when they pan around and show the stadium and arena and there's empty yeah. seats everywhere. I think it kind of hurts the the venue and, and the atmosphere. Um, I did see that. I thought it was you know bizarre, but uh, it's an early season college basketball game. If you're saying that's where the Final Four is, I'm sure it's going to be pretty damn close to to sold out and packed. Yeah, I, I was going to say the Final Four would get definitely get a, a crowd like that. That but that game we mentioned by the way between Ohio State Michigan hockey fascinates me because these games that they have but I'm not so focused on the basketball game on the ship because you could theoretically maneuver that ship to a location that doesn't have rain or any like uh, inconspicuous weather with hockey you really got to like map that. And, and I know in the winter, you're probably the odds are you're going to have a, a cold enough day to keep the ice going good. But like, imagine they plan this out months in advance. And then it's like one of the warmest days of the winter, just randomly 60 some degrees. And that ice might risk becoming slush. 
we, we, it's happened before. I cannot remember what two teams it was. I know one instance was at least an NHL team. If I'm not mistaken though, there's been one time where they had to, you know, postpone the start of the game and they actually started hours later because it was warm out and the ice was melting. And as crazy as this sounds, there was another game. I believe they had to stop and postpone back because it was so cold that the ice actually was so frozen. You couldn't play on it. They actually had to come out and heat the ice. So that is a risk you take when you play hockey games outdoors, no doubt about it. Inside, you can control the environment the entire time. But to my knowledge, it has happened at least twice, one in each instance of where the ice was too cold and then it was too warm outside. Hmm. It's a risk. I remember the game you're talking about. It might have been a winter classic game because those games are usually played in outdoor bigger settings. And I remember all I remember from that is there was that one meme where it's somebody uh, somebody was saying me trying to get this game going and it's a picture of it's a first person perspective of somebody point uh it's pointing uh, a gun at the sun you ever seen that one before oh. that's a pretty funny one but uh i i'm i'm very interested in seeing where the next great sporting venue will be like one of the most random occurrences i know there have been major events in like historic locations or major metropolitan uh arenas or venues I would like to see I would like to see some sort of sporting event in like the sands of Egypt, like like the desert. That would be very counterproductive and you'd have to get a lot of people coming into one place at one time and take care of them all, but there's something fascinating that's fascinating to me about playing basketball for example in such a sandy location. I don't know what it is. I think it'd be very cool, especially if you could have the uh, pyramids as a backdrop in the background. Exactly. Yeah. So cool. But I mean, I, we've heard it before, especially with the NFL. We know they just played in Munich. They've played in Mexico city. Uh, they've played in other countries around the world. And there was a question a few weeks ago posed on, on a show. I listened to where, where's going to be next that they haven't played yet. And somebody said, you know, Egypt or Israel, or are they going to go somewhere like Venezuela? I mean, it's only a matter of time before numerous sports, try to go play other places that have never been played in before. Um, it's always an interesting dynamic. Obviously I think most people like it unless it's their team playing in those places, because you want to be able to go to that team's game and some people can afford to go do that. I'm not one of them uh, flying all the way over to Germany to watch my football team play, but it does beg, beg the question, Mitch. And I think we should ask the audience and see if they want to comment down below, where would you want to see a game played in whatever sport? It doesn't really matter. We know the baseball has tried to play, you know, in Mexico and in Japan before, because there's already fields there, but where's somewhere that no one's played before that you think would work. And don't hit me with Antarctica because that's not really possible, uh, but like a, an actual location that would work. Fair enough. Now I like, I, I'm thinking more and more about that idea with the Egypt, Egypt and the basketball thing. You know, the Egyptians invented basketball. I did not know that. That's that's a fun fact. That's that's not a fact. Well, what, speaking of which, why don't you give me your fact of the day and we'll wrap up here? Well, my fact of the day is going to go back to what you just said a few minutes ago about where they played that game between Gonzaga and Michigan State. Oh, on USSS uh, Abraham Lincoln, I think you said. I saw this the other day and I was actually floored. It was actually such a wild fact that I couldn't believe it. Looked it up. I don't know how they can compute this, but I'm just going off what I saw. The average American thinks about Abraham Lincoln at least one time a day. I have heard that before. I never understood it exactly. Yeah. Never really got into much thought about it. Um, yeah. I mean, you know what it is? Money. 
Yep. I was going to say, I figured it's why, because he's on currency. You're on currency. You're on the penny. You're on the the $5 bill. I mean, uh, but that kind of makes me wonder why the other presidents and founding fathers aren't uh, typically brought up. I mean, Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, and uh, who's the guy on the dime? Who's the guy on the dime? Who's the guy on the dime? Hold on a second. Who's the guy on the dime? Oh, it's Rose. Oh, it's FDR. Huh, I didn't know. That. I forgot about that. Yeah, FDR. Yeah, so yeah, Roosevelt, Washington, Jefferson, and Lincoln are the only ones that share coins and dollars. Because I'm trying to think of the other coins too. Sacagawea is on the dollar. Well, I guess actually no, the presidents are on the dollar now too. Because you remember a few years ago how they they made those dollar coins and it's every president. Yeah. So Sacagawea is on the dollar. JFK is on the half dollar, which is my favorite coin. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so we end our sports podcast talking about currency. So thank you so much for listening or watching with the Big Time Sports Podcast Show.